1 Corinthians 4, 8 to 13. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Lord, we thank you that where two or more are gathered, here you are in our midst. We thank you that you're with us this morning. We thank you that you are with Dindi as she brings your word to us today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would fall afresh upon each one of us. We thank you for a fresh revelation of who you are and who we are in you. We thank you that you'd come. We thank you for a fresh anointing upon Dindi and upon each one of us, Lord. And we thank you that you have your way here today. Thank you that you help us to receive your word. And we give you all the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not an artist, so don't expect too much, but I wanted to illustrate something, and this is maybe not the ideal method, but I'm going to try. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you today. It's an honor. If you don't mind, I'd like to pray again. It just helps me to relax. (laughs) Father God, we thank you for your word, your living word. We thank you for the honor of reading your word, and each of us having a Bible of our own that we can read your word. And we love your word today. We love the fact that your spirit makes your word come alive. So teach us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've been hearing about the book of 1 Corinthians so far, chapters 1, 2, and 3. My husband Mark taught on that. And last week he said, very rightly, Corinth, we have a problem. Kind of like, what is it, Apollo 13, the movie? Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) Corinth, we have a very big problem. Lots of problems we're going to be reading about. But one of the big problems is their thinking. You know, at the end of chapter 2, the word says, we have the mind of Christ We have the possibility of the mind of Christ, but they weren't using it all the time, were they? The reason we know that is because chapter three begins, you're still infants. You're drinking milk, not eating solid food. You're not ready yet. You haven't grown up. You haven't matured. The mind of Christ means that we're thinking like Christ. And that's the goal, isn't it? Now in chapter four, Paul kind of winds up this whole argument having to do with the divisions among them, the quarreling, the wrong thinking. And he does some unusual things. He gives us a glimpse into who he is. And if you haven't read the whole chapter recently, or you might want to reread it, it's quite, it's challenging, frankly, 
to understand, but it's a glimpse into Paul, how he's maybe feeling and reacting to them. They are giving him a hard time. Paul, the apostle Paul, they're giving him a hard time. They're comparing all the different leaders. Oh, maybe we like Paul. Maybe we like Apollos. Maybe we like Peter. Maybe Christ. You know, they're, they're all leaders. They're all, you know, different. Some have this, some have that. I mean, there isn't the respect that Paul deserves. So he's going to correct their thinking in this chapter, but he's going to do it in some unusual ways, I think. I call it these appeals, you might say, that he makes. And thanks to one commentator I read, I now see that it's divided into basically four bite-sized pieces. So we can kind of look at it that way. Now, the first piece is verses one through five. When he says, we're servants entrusted with the secret things of God, the mysteries of God. Now, I'm going to try to draw something here. Some of you are familiar with what I'm going to be doing. That's a triangle, right? Okay. I just, he knows more than I do about it, and Robin helped. (laughs) Oh, okay. So... This is a triangle, right? (laughs) Supposed to be. (laughs) Yes. Okay, now, some of you have seen this kind of thing before. In this kind of a triangle, you have, let's say, we're talking about leadership today at this moment. So you have the leader up here, and you have the people Down here, the leader, it's like a hierarchy, right? The leader is pouring his energy downward towards the people. (laughs) She's laughing hysterically. Um, And in a sense, you might say this is a self serving leadership model. The leader is preserving his or her leadership by keeping control of things, by making sure that the people are behaving down here. Okay? We all know about leaders like this, but this is the old model. Jesus came... And guess what he did? Well, let's see. Just a minute. (laughs) Thank you. We're a team, but we didn't practice this. Jesus. (laughs) We need more years to get. Okay. Thank you, Mark. The other one doesn't have to be erased. Okay. Jesus came. He turned everything upside down. Just heard a great sermon by Tim Keller from New York City, has a a church in, or had a church in New York City, the upside down kingdom. Some of you may have heard this. 
I love this stuff, this material, this kind of thing. It's great. So, different, okay? The leader is down here. The people are here. And the leader is empowering the people, not himself. It's called a servant leadership model. Have some of you heard this kind of thing before? I'm sure. Okay. I think it's awesome. And I think it's apropos because we have a pastor search committee looking for God's leader for our congregation. And these are things to keep in mind. Isn't that true? So the leader is here to do what? Serve. So I'm going to go. Let's see. You can leave it for the moment, I guess. I don't really know what's going on here, but okay. <laughs> Y'all, we have an interesting life. <laughs> Robin is laughing. He's seen us in action. Okay. <laughs> in the Upside Down Kingdom, I want to read a scripture to you, which will sound very familiar. Matthew 20, 25, Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Think of that first triangle, the leader at the top, people at the bottom, right? Not so with you. You're in the new upside down kingdom. He didn't say that, but instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's our first picture, our first argument. Paul says, I've come as a servant. So you Corinthians that think you have to be great, if you want to be great, you better serve first. Be the least of them. And that's an awesome picture of how we should be, whether we're leaders or in any position in life. We're here to serve, and God will raise us up if we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. The next example that Paul uses has to do with being an example to them. Now, somebody pointed out wisely that in the first triangle I drew, where the leader's up at the top, remember, and the people at the bottom, that kind of leader doesn't usually want to empower new leadership There's no reason to give an example because that leader is guarding his or her position. That leader doesn't want to share, okay? Doesn't want other people to take part. It's all about control and keeping that leader in place. So to raise up new leadership, that isn't the story. The the story is to keep raising that person's leadership only or mainly. So that's different from what the upside-down kingdom 
the servant leadership model teaches us. It's all about empowering the people. Remember Ephesians 4? The leaders are there to prepare God's people for works of service. That's what it's about, and it's a constant rotation. God gives the leader new vision, new understanding, and new people are raised up, and you do it through example. Many ways you do it, teaching, discipling, but example, setting an example is one of the main ways that Jesus used to teach people how to become more like him. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. You see, the, the, the model here, you're looking up all the time. You're looking upward, okay? And you're following Christ. The leader is following Christ and saying, come along with me. Let's follow Christ together. Isn't this awesome? I mean, I think this is awesome stuff. So think... Forgive me, I'm going to probably keep saying that because I just think it's so exciting. This is what Jesus came for. He turned things upside down or really right side up, you might say. John 13, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, didn't he? And he said, now that I, in verse 14 and 15, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That's the point. Paul models Jesus' servant leadership. He models Jesus' teaching, as all the apostles do. But in this case, he's saying to the Corinthians, listen, you need to have a proper view of leadership. You need to understand that we're neither too low nor too high. You need a balance. You need to understand we're God's authority here, but at the same time, we're nothing. We're nothing. Because he says, why boast? You don't have anything that God didn't give you. Everything you have is given by God. Remember John the Baptist? He said that. He understood that. That's why he said, I'm going to decrease so Jesus can increase. That's awesome. That's the way to live. What a challenge. So that's the second appeal. The first one being servanthood. The apostles are servants. The second one, the apostles set an example. Now the third of four appeals. This is the one that Rebecca read the apostles on display. This would be verses 8 to 13. He said, we are, the the word display in every other version, it's like we're the last ones in the parade. We're the last ones. You Corinthians think you have to be at the front leading the pack. We're the last ones. We apostles, we're on display at the end, like a spectacle to the world in the arena, ready to die. Wow. Wow. So he's willing to say, I'm nothing. Who else said he was nothing? 
Philippians 2, our Lord, he was in heaven, wasn't he? And he said, I'm not going to grasp power. He emptied himself. Philippians 2, the great emptying passage, kenosis. He emptied himself and became a servant. If our Lord could empty himself, how much more should we ask him to help us empty ourselves of the ego and the self-righteousness and the arrogance that Paul says the Corinthians had? Now, he's going to shake them up in this passage. He's going to take them by the shoulders and absolutely shake them up. How does he do it? He uses something called sarcasm. Now, some people here, if you're not a native English speaker, you might not know what I mean. So I'm going to do my best to explain. (laughs) As Rebecca just read, you know, he says, you've become rich. Now, if you say it, your tone of voice makes all the difference. So if you say it, you know, wow, you've become rich. That sounds, you know, like something really positive, very awesome. Wow, God has blessed you. Or if you say, yeah, you've become rich. Not so good, right? I mean, that is sarcasm. Like, ha, 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 you think you're rich, don't you? He's saying to them, you think you're kings. You think you have everything. Remember the Laodiceans when Jesus said, but you don't realize. You think you're rich, but you don't realize you are pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You are not rich at all. You think you're rich. You think you're rich. He says, you know, many opposites here. You're wise. Oh, yes. We're foolish. You're honored. We're dishonored. You're so great. We're nothing. He's shaking them up. And if that isn't enough, he pulls out the whole suffering servant model. Think Isaiah 53. Jesus suffered. End of 52. He suffered and died, rejected, despised. Paul and others Christians have gone through terrible suffering. We know that. People are suffering today. He said, we're hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We're like the refuse or garbage of the world. You don't get much lower than that. Last week, Metin told us he was homeless, and God rescued him through Pastor Ramazan and others. Paul was homeless. Paul was out there. Paul was brutally treated. And just so you know that he was thinking of Jesus' model, like on the Sermon on the Mount, where he uses our opposites there too, the meek, those you'd never expect to inherit the earth, will. Because look what he says in, in uh, verses... Hmm, excuse me a minute. (laughs) Didn't write that one down. He says in verse 12, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, 
we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Doesn't that remind you of the Sermon on the Mount? Paul is thinking of Jesus' model, I'm convinced. Jesus told us, love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Paul says to the Corinthians, imitate me. Go out on the street. Be homeless. You know, Let them do what they want. And the Corinthians are like, no, 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 no. We would never do that. Why would we imitate you in that? The people we respect are up here, separate, you know, untouched. Paul says, not so. Not the kind of leaders that Christ wants. Now, where does he get the right to speak to them like this? In the next section, verses... The very the last section, verses uh, 14 to 21, he says, I get the right to talk like this because I'm your father in the gospel. Paul established the Corinthian church on his second journey. He's their father. He says, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to warn you. You're capable of more than this. You're capable of the kind of leadership and thinking that's right side up in the kingdom or upside down in the world. He says, I'm in a relationship with you. This is Paul, his heartbeat. He cares about them. He says, you have lots of thousands of guardians in Christ, thousands of trainers, thousands of people to tell you all kinds of things, but not many fathers. Relationship is so important. And he says, you know, um, I want you to imitate me. I want you to know what I'm teaching. So I'm going to send Timothy. That is it. You know, a praise for Timothy, a disciple who listened to his teacher, who imitated him, and is now capable of carrying on whatever Paul needs done. But he said, some of you are arrogant. You don't want me to come, Paul says, but I'm coming if God allows me, and I'm going to find out who's talking around here And see where the power is. What does he say? A memorable verse. The kingdom of God is not about talk, but about power. And Paul said in in 2 Corinthians 12, when I'm weak, dishonored, lowly, God's power rests on me, he said. When I'm weak, I'm strong. Everything is, is just turned around. And my exhortation for you today would be, we do not have to be like the Corinthians, do we? Thank you. (laughs) We do not. We can live the Christ-like life as much as we're able. As Mark just said, the Spirit is in us, wanting to transform us, wanting to teach us, wanting to help us serve Without ego, 
without claim to fame. The only fame we want is Jesus' fame, not ours. You know, when we lived in Izmir, which we did for six years a while back, uh, the pastor's wife there named Judith, the German couple, a very wise woman. And she said to me one day, the biggest challenge I feel is God saying to me, are you willing to be invisible? I have felt that a challenge ever since. If you pray for someone and God touches them, are you willing to let him get all the glory? Because it's him. We have nothing we receive that isn't given by him to us. Nothing. And we want to use it to serve others, to serve the body of Christ, most of all to serve God, not to serve self. I entreat you, I urge you this morning to join with us here, serving, loving, caring, honoring Christ and one another. I believe that's what Paul wanted the Corinthians to do. I believe that Christ wants us all to do it, to not be afraid. I hate to say this, it's not easy. Some people I know have lost their reputation. Some people have had a lot of hardship. Let's see that they are being honored by God. For all we know, they have a spirit within them unlike anything we can imagine. So I just want to exhort you to let's all move into that place of servanthood of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, it's an honor to be your servants today. It's an honor to love you. It's an honor to serve you. We ask you to help us to walk worthy of the high calling you have given us and to love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.